You're listening to Ryan Anderson's Model Railcast Show with your hosts, Craig Bisgeyer and Tim Harrison. We're bringing you the latest news, reviews, and interviews on the hobby of model railroading. The Model Railcast Show, keeping you on the right track. All right, Craig, I think it's show 233. I can't, I can't remember. I, I, I lost count a long time ago. All right, Model Railcasters, well, welcome back. I to don't the... have that many fingers and toes, you know? <laughs> we have, yeah, we can't. We're losing count. That's okay. We're in the 200s. I think it's 233. Um, there you go. And uh, I'll just say it with confidence and, you know. We'll just go with that. So Sounds good. Yeah. yeah. So we've got Craig, as you can hear. We've also got Tom Jacobs. Tom, how you doing? Good, good. Hey, everybody. Hey, we Hello, got... Tom. If, if he sounds familiar, it's because you're hearing him more and more on the – did they hire you on a Modeler's Life yet, or are they, they... – <laughs> <laughs> No, it's it's still uh, it's still an unpaid position, but uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I have a lot of fun talking with Lionel and, and Bruce and those guys. Yeah. I, I – have grown to consider them dear dear friends not only in the modeling world but personally as well over the past couple of years so oh, that's great we have a lot of fun over there on the spinoff show yeah <laughs> absolutely absolutely so craig it's been a couple of weeks have you gotten an update for us uh you know not really um uh, it's it's funny through most of the uh the, the rona going on i haven't actually been working that hard uh because it just you know we, we at my company you know we're doing pretty well we were do, we were scheduled to have a great year and then the rona hit and we lost a few contracts uh we've gained a few others so but we're definitely going to be less busy than we were last year uh so you know i haven't been as busy as i ha- have been in the past but in the last week or so things have just gotten crazy i have been working like 10 hour days every day I've been doing a lot of training and everything like that, so I haven't had a ton of time to actually do work on uh, either my 3D printer or you know do much modeling. Although I've been really itching to get back to it, um, but uh, I did manage to finish a project for our good friend David Emery, who we haven't had on the show in a while. Yes, but uh, David is another early period modeler like me, and uh, he is modeling a small refinery. Uh, in Pennsylvania okay. and uh, as one of the scenes that he's doing. And he's been doing a lot of research on uh, refineries in that period. And one of the things he came up with, which was interesting to me, is something called a cheese box still. Apparently it was used to cook down uh, crude and uh, I'm not exactly sure what they got out of it. I'm assuming, you know, kerosene, other uh, light and heavy oils, whatever else like that. Mm-hmm. Similar, I guess, to what you do today in a, in a cracking tower. Okay. But obviously a different process. Um, but uh, interesting, very, very interesting little process. Apparently it's a relatively small tank and uh, it sits on top of, I guess, a brick or a stone foundation that's fairly high. And I guess they would build the fire underneath it, you know, fill, fuel it with coke or whatever like that, and they would boil the oil and uh, in like a still, and at different temperatures, different types of oil boils off. Okay. So that's how they would, and they do the same thing in a cracking tower today, but it's much more efficient. Uh, well, anyway, so uh, David asked me, he showed me some pictures from an old history book that he found. He said, do you think that you could model this and print it on your printer? So I looked at it, and I said, 
yeah, why not? That should be okay. I should be able to do that. So that started a, a two-and-a-half-month ordeal <laughs> where the first <laughs> I, I actually I was able to design it in Fusion 360 actually very quickly. I got it done in less than a day. And then I said, okay, well, let me see if I can get a decent enough print on my uh, filament printer. So I tried to print the parts on there, and uh, it just wouldn't work properly. I kept getting gaps and uh, other things that they weren't showing up in the actual uh, slicing diagram for the thing. But for some reason, it would skip like uh, a line or two here in, in some spots. And so there would be these gaps or gouges. I'm like, well, this this is terrible. That won't work. Right. And so I said, okay. So I said, well, let me try it on the, on the resin printer. And so I tried it on the resin printer. And the first time I tried to print it, I ran out of resin. And so it only had to printed. And then... <laughs> <laughs> it was all, I mean, it was one thing after another. And then it's, I got a new resin and it took a while to dial that in, get the settings correct. And even then I was having problems with, uh, one of the things on a resin printer that goes wrong very often is that uh, the, the printing object will become unattached from the build plate. Okay. And it'll get distorted as it's trying to print, or it'll end up dropping off the build plate and falling into the tank, which is even worse. Uh, but Every time I tried to print this thing, it would end up coming out distorted. And I'm like, I, I kept trying. I increased the exposure rate, and I was doing all this stuff. I swear to God, Tim, I must have printed this. He wanted two, <laughs> two of them. I must have printed 14 or 15 of them. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> two, two and a half months to get two decent prints. And, I mean, I was so frustrated. And finally, I, I just – I was going to send him a tiny box. I took all the failures, and I just put them in a big box. And I said, here – Take them all. <laughs> so he's got enough to build a farm now. <laughs> he's just got to do a little filling and puttying and like that, but he's got more than enough to get done whatever he needs to get done. I tell you, though, for some reason, it was one of the hardest projects to print that I've ever done. And wow. it's just a simple little cylindrical tank. Ah, uh, figures. <laughs> yeah. It's the simple things, and it just it was just it just wouldn't work. So, but thank goodness it's done now, and I can move on to other things. Oh, that's <laughs> wow! What an ordeal, though. <laughs> oh, totally! It was crazy. And my, even my wife was like, you, "Why are you yelling?" I'm like, "Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm frustrated." <laughs> oh man! Well, I what's uh, up with you? Uh, not not much. Um, I the last thing I did was um, was working on a curve, uh, working on a uh, curve ladder, uh, well, short extension one, and um, I I have some more filing to do because it the the um i didn't curve the frog as good as i thought i did and so i i'm gonna try to file it and if not then i'm just gonna tear it out and put a new one in so we'll see we'll see how that goes sometimes that's the best way to go yeah yeah i yeah it's it's the killer way but it yeah it's just it's yeah it, because it's just if it doesn't go together quite right sometimes there's literally nothing you can do yeah that will make it work until you get to the point where you've actually filed off the rail head and then you're done. You know? yes. So you might as well just tear it out and yeah. start again. Yeah. You know, but give it a shot, take yeah. a chance, you know, and maybe you can get it. And if not, then, you know, you, it, when you get to that point, you can tear it out with confidence that you did everything you could. <laughs> exactly. And you just, just start again. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And, uh, and Tom, I've, I've been seeing, uh, seeing a, a lot of really cool work. You've been having some fun with a new laser cutter. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I got uh, I got a, a shiny new toy a little while ago. I I am now the proud owner of a Glowforge Plus, and 
I've uh, I've been spending uh, a fair amount of time putting that through its paces and you know seeing the different things that uh, that it can do and it's it's been a lot of fun. Excellent, yeah. excellent. I'm very jealous. I really am because I've I've seen those things. I mean, I know people who have the the really big expensive ones like Jeff Adam and you know uh, a ton of other people who do kits. But the the Flash Forge is a really interesting machine because it's not. I mean, it's not cheap, but it's mm-hmm. something that you can keep you know on a shelf or you know on a, on a top of a cabinet, you know, like that. And uh, I, I guess you probably do still have to port the exhaust out because it's going to make smoke. But it's the kind of thing that you know a guy like you or me could actually afford, you know, it's not something you're going to build a business on, but for doing modeling work, it's gotta be a great thing. Yeah. It's, it's not, it, it, it's, it's, um, well, as far as the, the exhaust, it actually has, you can either exhaust it outside of your, your house or whatever room you're in, but, or there's also, um, a filter, unit that an external filter unit that you can purchase which i have purchased that it, it basically vents into there oh so does it work it, oh it works great oh good it, it, it works great there's there's no smell there's no smoke oh this is um, this is very bad yeah and, now and i'm thinking about buying one <laughs> <laughs> well there's um you know and there's a very active user community um on on facebook and other places and of course there's all kinds of hacks and tips that people have come up with and and this this filter unit um comes with this big filter cartridge that the replacement is a couple hundred dollars it's it's big it's yeah but so one of the very effective so yeah yeah but one of the hacks that people have come up with is if you take carbon fiber medium or carbon filter medium, like aquarium right. filter. Activated char- carbon, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you, and you pack that in, and you change that out every so often. You can dramatically extend the life of this filter cartridge. Ah, so very I've, good. I've done that. So, but it's um, you know, it's it's interesting in that it's, uh, you know, the Glowforge is set up that. The, the settings, it, it's set up to make it as easy as possible to use, mm-hmm. um, but they want you to use their material, right, right. so that you buy from them. So, um, you know, if you're going to use something like laser board or, or, you know, thinner pieces of basswood, it takes a little bit of experimentation to get the settings, you know, dialed in right, sure. and, uh, you know, to get the result you want. But... It's, um, you know, it's, uh, it's a lot of, uh, it's been a lot of fun so far. I'm, I'm in the process of working on, um, a brick structure building. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, the other thing I did is I, uh, got this, uh, two color acrylic and I was able to engrave some yard limit signs following reading plans. And they, they have the, the black and white look of the, cast iron wayside signs that the Reading used to have. So nice. it's, it, there's really some, some cool little, uh, you know, little, uh, gizmos and, and little doodads and stuff that, that you can make with this thing beyond, you know, structures and things like that. So it was, right. 
it was definitely and and plus you know there's there's lots of uses for it you know outside of model railroading as well yeah yeah that's for sure i've done a few things for friends and family and things like that so it's um you know it's it's been a lot of fun being on the the learning curve my 3d printer by the way is still in its box still (laughs) oh my god yeah i uh, not a year ago it's okay. it's been it's been several months i'm you know i i'm so into the laser right now that i feel like if i if i take the printer out of the box knowing what kind of learning curve those things have i i feel like there if i i could very easily get sucked into that rabbit hole and i'd never oh, yeah. get anything done out in the barn on the layout so. from the bottom of the rabbit hole i agree <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. All right, well, Model Railcasters for our roundhouse, uh, we've got Tom Jacobs, and Tom, it's this is kind of our getting caught back up with you show, and and uh, it's been it's been a while since we've had you on, um, and uh, also too, the, I'm sure we've gotten some new listeners since then. So, uh, just give us a brief intro, if you would, and, and uh, of who you are and how you got into the Reading Railroad. Sure, sure. Well, I'm as you said, uh, I'm Tom Jacobs, and uh, I right now am uh, an avid uh, Reading Railroad modeler, and um, came by that very honestly in that I was I was born and raised in in Reading, Pennsylvania, which is basically the hub of of the Reading Railroad and I still live in the general area. Um in fact, I live about 3 blocks from the Reading's uh, it was originally called the Lebanon Valley branch, it's now the Norfolk Southern Harrisburg line. So the Reading, you know, was the local railroad, but more than that, um I have several generations of of Reading Railroad workers in my my family tree. My grandfather was a machinist and an air brake inspector in the Reading shops, and my great grandfather was a boiler maker in the in the locomotive shop as well. And then his father also worked for the Reading. I don't have any insight into what he did, but. You know, there's at least three generations of of Reading Railroad men in in the family. So, uh, as I was getting into the hobby, there was really no choice for me as to what I was going to model. It was it was pretty plain from from day one what I was going to be doing. Yeah, I'm, and I have been uh, I've been someday, working son, on... all of this will be yours. <laughs> right, right. Um. I've been working on my layout now for about the past six years. Okay. Uh, we started construction in, in 2014. Wow. <laughs> Hard to believe. 
That's flown. <laughs> it has. Yeah. It has. I get all these these Facebook posts of here's what you were doing five years ago. Here's what you were doing three years right. ago, and it's <laughs> it, it's amazing to to see the progress like that. Number one, to see oh wow, look how different it is now with with you know all of the bench work in place and most of the track laid and. And then on the other hand, it's like, oh my gosh, has it really been that long? I thought we'd be done by now. Right. Um, <laughs> um, Craig, does that sound familiar? <laughs> that kind uh, of unfortunately, yes. Unfortunately, I'm not. I'm not nearly as far along as him, and I've been working on it for 20 years. So, <laughs> uh, pick what you will. Right. <laughs> Tom, were there any? Uh, you, were, you, we'll talk a little bit more about this layout. But is this your? Is this? This isn't your first one, is it? Were there some previous ones before this one? Um, this is this is the first one in my home or at my house. Prior to this, my brother-in-law and I, who he lives about a mile or so up the road from me, for several years he and I worked on uh, a switching layout that we we built in in his basement um, that was based on. Uh, the industrial kind of the industrial branch line that ran through Reading, um, and also connected into the Pensy, which also ran through Reading at one time. So um, we worked on that switching layout for a number of years and had it, you know, operational and and pretty well along scenically, and to the point where we were actually, you know, having you know small operating sessions. It's perfect size for you know two guys to to work you know one guy running the reading the other running the pensy and swapping cars and things like that um but then that kind of went on an extended hiatus when my nephew moved back home and took up residence in the basement where the layout was um but he has he has since moved out and bought his own home and and daryl my brother-in-law spent a lot of time, you know, cleaning and, and rehabbing the layout. So it's it's running again and every now and then he makes noise like he wants to get back into it. But mm. uh so that was you know, that was really the first serious layout that that got far along, I would say. But that again, that's at his place and it kinda got um a little irritating and frustrating to always have to go up there. And I, if I wanted to run trains or work on something, so decided at one point, once, you know, my kids were out of school and everything, it was time to, uh, time to build a layout mm-hmm. here at my place. Right. Got it. Cool. Um, now, Craig, when you moved into your house, it was pretty obvious mm-hmm. for you that the basement was, was perfect for a layout. Yes. Uh, not perfect, but uh, better than probably what I could have come up with otherwise. Right. So, yeah. So, uh, I mean, it's got some issues, but, you know, it, it, it's, it, it gets the job done. Right, right. But, Tom, I'm guessing for you, your basement wasn't going to get you what you wanted. So it, it, you're right. I, I don't actually have a basement. Okay. <laughs> I, we live, I live in Pennsylvania. How can you not have a basement? We live in a bi-level. Oh, that'll do it. Okay. We live, uh, I live in the suburbs and, and we have a, a bi-level and, um, you know, so there's, there's no basement to speak of and we use the garage for, for storage and things like that. So there really was no space for, for a layout of, of the size and scope that I was really hoping for. So back in 2011, 2012 or so, you know, it was, uh, one of these, um, 
you know, frank conversations with my wife about wanting to do this. And, and we kind of had to come to a decision. Either I, either we need to move to a house where there's a basement or we do something else. And, and we decided that we, we love the area that we live in. We love the neighborhood. Um, we, we had spent a lot of time, effort and money getting the house just the way we liked it. And if we, even if we did move somewhere else, I'd be, you know, spending so much time working on that house that I would never get down in the basement to actually build a layout. Mm. So we decided to stay here in the house. And what I ended up doing was I built or I had built a 20 foot by 36 foot pole building. Okay. Uh, ah, that's that, right. Okay. That <laughs> is, um, that's the, the barn as we call it. Right. Um, and uh, that is that space is dedicated to my layout. Yeah, that's pretty. Had stupid. me worried there for a minute. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there is a happy ending to it. <laughs> very, mu- very much so. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Uh, I, was, I was thinking of. It's gonna be a horror movie here. No, that okay? Now, so we we the the uh, the barn was built in 2012 in the summer of 2012. Um, we have it's fully finished, you know, it's fully drywalled, it's insulated, it has its own uh, heating and air conditioning system so that we can be in there all year round. And, um, you know, it uh, so then between 2012 and 2014, when we actually started construction, you know, that time was the planning time of, you know, uh, figuring out a design and, and things like that. So, so we've had the, I've had the building for eight years, but we've actually been working on the layout for six. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So Tom, uh, what exactly, I know you're modeling the Reading area, but what are you modeling, uh, from here to there, from one place to another, you know, and, uh, what's the rest of the question? (laughs) (laughs) And why? And why are you doing that? And what era are you doing? Okay. <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> okay. Well, the the part of the Reading that I'm modeling is is what's known as the cross line, which oh. was the was the if if you look at a map of of the Reading, um, it essentially looks like a, a large X or a plus sign with with the city of Reading in the middle, and the the north south line was the original main line that ran from the coal regions of, of, you know, North central Pennsylvania down to Philadelphia. That was the original purpose of the Redding's existence was to haul coal down to, uh, down to the, the port in Philadelphia to be, to be shipped out. Mm. So that was the original line that was, that was built when the Redding first started. But then later on, they expanded to the east and the west out of Reading. So the the cross line is essentially that main east-west line between Allentown at the east end and Harrisburg in the west with with Reading in the middle. Okay. And that cross line actually, as we got into the, the 20th century and the anthracite traffic declined more and more after after World War II, that east-west gateway became more important to the Reading's existence, um, you know, because obviously Allentown was the gateway to the northeast in New England. 
from Harrisburg, it was a hop, skip, and a jump down to Hagerstown and all of the railroads emanating out of there. Um, so mm-hmm. it was really the, uh, a huge east-west artery for freight. I mean, it was part of the alphabet route at one time. Uh, oh, and and a lot that. of traffic, you know, a, a lot of traffic of all kinds moved, you know, on that line, much more so than, um, you know, than, you know, back and forth between Philadelphia and the coal regions. So that's the where. Um, and the, the when that I'm modeling is actually the early 1970s, which is firmly ensconced in the second generation diesel era because I love second generation diesels. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's actually the last few years before the Reading was absorbed into Conrail. So really the the 1973-74 time frame is, uh, is where I've kind of put the pin on the era. And that really revolves around um, some decisions around motive power because 73-74 is when the Reading took delivery of their last batch of diesel locomotives, you know, their GP39-2s, their GP40-2s, and their uh, MP15s. And they were in, you know, they came in the all green uh, paint scheme as opposed to the earlier green and yellow. So by picking that time frame, I can accurately have all of the different diesel paint schemes that the Reading had and be accurate. Okay. Mm. Very cool. Pretty good reason. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'll accept that. (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll allow it. (laughs) No, that's, that sounds good. Um, Tom, real quick off script, you mentioned the the alphabet route uh, or, or system. Can you just explain real quick to our listeners what that was? Um, I can I can try. Um, the alphabet route was was basically a, a collection of railroads that were that were connected and kind of had a, a common bond in in shipping and moving freight. So it was the Reading. Um, the uh, the Western Maryland, uh, I think the Norfolk and Western was involved in it, but but basically you would have it was the 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 earliest iteration of run through trains, okay. you know that that would take traffic from you know Chicago and points west and and route it all the way through to points east, you know running the train all the way through, okay you know through that connected network of, of different railroads. Right. Okay. Very good. Very good. Well, so you've, you've talked about some of the, uh, some of the, the geographic area that you're modeling from where to where, um, what are some signature areas that you're including in, and maybe some industries or a particular scene that you, that you really want to make sure you, you get into your model railroad? Now, that's probably a loaded question. <laughs> yeah. There's there there's a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure know, that and, there are. I mean, I've been through that area. I've got to think you've got to be doing Harris Tower for one of them. Actually, actually, no. I, no, I'm, I'm not. Really no, the, okay. what Rutherford Yard. Okay. which is actually east of where Harris Tower would Harris Tower would be. Mm-hmm. Harris Tower is actually on the Pensy, but the Rutherford Yard was was the Reading's main yard in the Harrisburg area and that's I... my that's my West End staging yard. Okay. So, it's really not I'm really not modeling Harrisburg. The same thing with Allentown. Allentown is my East End staging yard. So, those are kind of the the ends of the layout. The all the good stuff is is in between. So, 
Um, gotcha. There's a couple. You know, there's a couple key scenes that I really want to get right. Um, one of them, of course, is is Reading Yard itself. That was on the, you know, on the layout. That will be the main classification yard. That's where the locomotive and the freight car shops were. You know, there are mm-hmm. some really key scenic features there, like the shop buildings, the big concrete coal dock from the steam days. Things like that, you know, I want to I want to make sure that I get that right or at least, you know, very, very highly recognizable that, you know, somebody can look at it and say, oh, that's Reading Yard. Um, the other one that is is going to be a challenge both uh, scenically as well as operationally is Hershey. And, um, you know, Rob, uh, our, our, our mutual buddy, Rob Hinkle uh, yes. and I have have been. Uh, you know, both we're both modeling Hershey and and the Hershey chocolate plant and and all of that. Um, that's going to be a, a really big area and industry on the layout. It basically takes up one whole corner of scenery because um, I'm going to have the cocoa bean silos and the plant itself and the powerhouse and all of the the recognizable, you know, features of, of Hershey, you know, from a scenic perspective, Mm -hmm. but then operationally, you know, they had a dedicated switch crew there. I think two tricks out of the day, they may have had a third trick at one point, but what I'm envisioning when, when we're finally operating is that would be one whole job on the layout would be just working Hershey you know, doing the, the plant shifting, taking the, the set outs and the pickups from, from through trains and, and things like that. I think there's going to be enough there to keep one person busy for the entirety of a session. So it's, it's, um, it's really a key operational point. Um, let's see what else the, the city of Lebanon, which is midway between Reading and Harrisburg. There's a very ornate, brick uh, passenger station that is actually still standing today. Mm. Um, it, it's an unmistakable structure. And uh, a friend of mine actually has drawings of the uh, of the station. So we're thinking that it'll be uh, feasible. I'm not going to say easy, but it'll be feasible to, with a little bit of work, we can, you know, create a laser cut kit for the Lebanon station. Mm-hmm. Build a build a convincing facsimile. Um, let's see, Albertus uh, on the East Penn branch is uh, a key scene as well because that was a junction with a small branch that went up into some of the uh, customers up uh, toward more toward the cement belt. There was a an interlocking tower there at one point. Um, that's a that's going to be a, an interesting scene. The town of Fleetwood with the big FM Brown feed mill, which again is still standing, still gets rail service. That's the, you know, that's actually the, you know, one of the neat aspects of the line that I'm modeling is that a lot of the the features are are still there, you know, that's and even cool. if they, even if you know, a lot of the buildings are still there, and even if things have changed, you know, if you go on Pen Pilot or you go on Google Earth. There, there's enough remnants where you can see where things were. You know, the the land, like if a track has been ripped out, 
you can still see where it was. So, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's a the, the industrial archaeology that I've that I've had to do is um, is a little bit easier because of that because it's still such a busy freight line for Norfolk Southern. Okay, that's that's that is very cool actually. Because mm-hmm. it takes some of the guesswork out. It's like because you can still see stuff there. <laughs> right. And that's always such a huge thing when, when it's not gone that way. You, you know, even if it's not, if it, the rail's been pulled up, but like you said, you know, the bones of everything are still there. Right. So right. you've got historical photos. You can actually see where everything went. So you've actually got a lot that you can work with, which is great. Yep. Definitely cool. Definitely cool. So that's pretty interesting, Tom. Um, one question that I want, well, more than one question probably, really. Uh, that I wanted to go with you is uh, I wanted to ask you about I, I've seen a lot of the pictures and things that you've been posting on Facebook about uh, the construction. I was wondering, you know, exactly what type of layout are you building? And I, I'm always interested in the challenges and things that people run into when trying to build a layout, uh, sometimes based on the type of layout they're trying to build. I was wondering if you could maybe tell us a little about that and maybe if there's any type of uh, you know, like like challenges, like we're saying a second ago, that you've run into, you know, that things you weren't expecting or things that you've had to work around or things that even uh, you weren't expecting that turned out well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm actually building what I what I have come to call a, a hybrid mushroom layout. Okay. Okay. So the the lower levels are are your traditional mushroom. And then everything from the first level that you would view from the raised floor of a mushroom is all on that same size. So maybe another way to put it is it's a mushroom layout with an extended cap. So there's okay. there's three levels on that cap part and only one level on the other side. So... You know, ju- the from in terms of challenges, you know, just figuring out how to engineer a mushroom layout has lots of challenges um, on its own. Fortunately, you know, there's a lot of other people. I mean, Joe Fugate has a whole DVD on mm-hmm. on how to build a mushroom layout. That was a huge resource for me. Um, figuring out how to engineer the raised floor that was a big challenge. There's a, a modeler. Um, out in the York area, a gentleman named Dave Trone. Uh, when I was pre- I was presenting a clinic at the Valley Forge RPM meet and talking about and it was before we actually started construction, and I was talking about the raised floor, and somebody said, "Well, you need to go see his layout." And so I contacted him, and I did, mm-hmm. and I I basically just copied his his raised floor system. Um, okay. And so, just out of curiosity, uh, how does that work? What type of system do you use? Well, it's basically a bunch of little stud walls okay. that are, you know, kind of, you know, strung together and okay. then joist, joists on top of those. Right. And then the, the flooring on top of the joists. But what we've done is that floor system is it does not touch the walls of the building. And the the benchwork for the layout itself does not touch the floor system, so that 
you can you can walk on that floor. You could do somersaults on that floor, mm-hmm. and you're not transmitting any vibration. Exactly. Wow. Exactly. That way, you're not you're not transmitting any of the vibrations to the layout itself. So, mm. that was you know that was a, a a thing that we overcame, and it's been very very successful. Nice. You know the other you know the biggest thing, the biggest lesson that I've learned and that I've tried to pass on to people is you know because i was you know because i had you know i built this purpose built building to house the layout um i did things backwards because honestly because number one i my i let my enthusiasm get the better of me okay. and and two i didn't know any better what i what i really should have done you know, and if I had it to do over again, and if everybody, anybody else is, is planning this approach, please heed my words. Um, <laughs> you know, once I, what I, what I should have done is, is once I knew the size of the building and what my footprint was going to be before I built the building, I should have come up with the, the plan and the design, because if I would have done that, then I would have been able to have a, a better answer for where to put certain things, like where to put the door, you know, okay. where to put the electrical panel, sure. or the thermostat, or things like that. Um, I did it the other way around. I built the building and finished the walls and did the wiring and everything, and then came up with the plan. So it's it's created a couple issues that we've had to deal with i mean nothing that that was an absolute deal breaker but minor inconveniences for example i at one point it became apparent that i was going to have to change the door from an in-swing to an outswing. you know not a big deal but just more of a, a pain than anything mm. you know just you know calling lowe's and and getting a new door and putting that in um the the bigger problem again not insurmountable but a little bit more challenging is the track plan goes right past the service panel so i've got to have a, a lift out section there okay. um you know to be able to access the electrical box mm. um so again not a deal breaker but just minor inconveniences but if i would have known what my plan was going to be i could have put those things in a different location where, you know, excuse me, maybe they wouldn't be as, as challenging. Um, but, um, you know, it, and, and, and honestly, you know, like doing some of that engineering was actually part of the fun of the journey, you know, Mm -hmm. watching, watching the floor go up and, um, you know, figuring out how to anchor the helix and, and all of that stuff. I mean, it, it's, it's it's been a crazy ride, but um, <laughs> you know. But I I would you know I, I that would be my biggest suggestion if anybody is is looking at either doing a, a brand new space or or having a purpose built building, definitely you know work on your plan first and then plan for where things like doors or windows or you know service panels are going to go. Because that way, you know, you know that going in and you don't uh, get bit halfway through the construction process. Right. 
it's funny though because so many of us you know who have a basement instead of what you have you know we walk in and we're dealing with you know certain constraints right off the bat you know usually you know you're not dictating how the house gets built you kind of mm-hmm. it, well, some people do but you know you're dealing with whatever you happen to move into and you know where the the floor the staircase comes down to the basement is kind of usually a a set thing where the utilities are that's a set thing and you kind of usually have to work around that and i think it's mm-hmm. kind of funny that <laughs> you ended up in the same situation even though you really had the choice of how to do everything from the beginning right. <laughs> so well, like like i said craig my my enthusiasm got the better of it indeed like, yeah i'm helping out the building the horse. i want yeah. I want it done now. <laughs> oh, believe me, I, you know. I'm very familiar with the concept. <laughs> right. Oh man. Well, um, I'm all we're all excited about what's been going on, and and so I'm just curious: is what's the next thing to be built on your layout? What's what's your next? Uh, where, where's your next project going? Well, we've been we've been very much in a a rush lately to or a, or a concerted effort to actually connect the layout from end to end right now we have about two-thirds of of the layout built we have from rutherford to east of of myerstown built and then we have allentown west to right outside of redding built so there's this there's this section i want to say it's probably about 30 feet in total in in the last corner that is still not connected if one and so that's really been our focus is is to get an end-to-end connection so that we can can run a train from you know all the way from one end of the layout to the other okay um we have not built reading yard yet but we're we're building the reading level we're building you know we have the belt line which was this it was literally a belt line that that ran around the yard and you know allowed trains to you know bypass the city and all the grade crossings we we built that first okay. with this idea of of getting connected one end to the other so we want to we want to get everything connected and then we want to um you know we want to get all you know we run a you know be able to run from one end to the other and and you know do some serious debugging of of track and and things like that i mean we've been pretty diligent about things but you're always going to find things we want to start shaking things down and and then um you know then we'll come back and and build reading yard and uh finish it up so it's really all about finishing up the construction and and doing all the wiring which i hate wiring by the way (laughs) (laughs) but uh you know getting it operational from one end to the other right and then we'll probably take a a good week to just clean the heck out of everything um you know everything you know it it needs a really good cleaning we need to clean the track um but then after that it it'll be uh scenery time Mm. you know ballasting structures all the all the cool stuff right right very cool signaling (laughs) yeah yeah so uh, signaling is interesting. Now, you and Craig are about as far away eras apart as uh, as you could possibly be with signaling. We, with Craig, well, we, <laughs> cause, cause yeah. Craig, we, a few C's, right? 
few C's, yeah, uh, that's pretty much it, you know? A <laughs> couple of hall signals here and there, and that's about all. <laughs> right, right. And, Tom, what kind of signaling are you going to be um, get, trying to get on your your railroad? Um, I will be – I'll be using uh, JMRI and, and Panel Pro. Um, you know, the Redding had – on this line, the Redding had, you know, centralized traffic control and uh, – um, you know, automatic block. And, and so we're gonna, we're gonna try to emulate that. Um, part of, you know, part of the, the process of wiring has not just been soldering the feeders and, and hooking up the bus lines, but it's also been breaking up the layout into sections for occupancy detection and, you know, hooking up the, the different boards for that. And, uh, programming uh, jmri and uh you know all the tam valley servos and the quad boards and i uh, i have sent a lot of money to duncan mccree (laughs) (laughs) haven't we all (laughs) that's gonna say i i don't mind because his stuff is is just awesome i mean the, the servos the boards you know um you know, even something as simple as the little fascia controllers, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, they just, you know, I, I I spray paint them and, you know, put them on the fascia and they just give such a, a nice finished polished look to everything. Um, but no, his I, I love, you know, I, I really like the, the functionality of the servos Um you know, they, they really have worked well for us. Right. So, uh, excellent. Well, Craig, as you know, yourself, uh, one of the things that you knew you were getting into when you were building a, uh, I I'm taking it. You knew you were getting into when you were going to build a layout that big was, uh, did you ha- have to plan for how many, how many cars and how you're going to get the cars? Like I'm, I'm guessing that had to be an mm-hmm. active part of your planning, right? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and which was the answer was a lot and <laughs> well that's true yes um i mean i think that's everybody's answer really but yeah. well i mean if you've got a four by eight you can't really have too much rolling stock on you you know what i've known people who had four by eights that had you know containers full of <laughs> you know models because that's that's a hobby in itself is just collecting that's right? true that's a good point you know so that's a good point <laughs> some people don't even have layouts and they have hundreds and hundreds of models. So, yeah, you know. that's true. I've seen that before, too. It's a good point. So mm-hmm. with that in mind, Tom, what are the rolling stock needs on your layout? And how are you planning on getting what you need? Well, that the the person that you just described, the blue tub modeler, that was me. Oh, um, okay. I've been, you know, I've been in the hobby for about 25 years, you know, uh, uh, and um, you know, during that time, I've been squirreling away cars and locomotives and things like that. So, uh, structure kits, you know, I, I've, you know, I've been, comp- you know, compiling a lot of this stuff over the years, knowing that eventually, you know, when, when time and resources allowed, I'd be building a, a fairly good size layout. So, um, the layout's definitely going to take several hundred cars, um, you know, but I've got a good many of them already. Uh, you know, things like um, coal hoppers. You know, for not only for um, not only for anthracite coming down out of the coal regions, but also for 
bituminous coming up from the south and going to feed the uh, feed the coke ovens at uh, Bethlehem Steel near Allentown. A um, lot of gondolas for you know finished steel products coming out of Bethlehem Steel. Um, Hundred ton hoppers for hauling iron ore to Bethlehem Steel. Um, covered hoppers of, of sugar and, and things like that for uh, the Hershey plant. Box cars for the the sacks of cocoa beans to feed Hershey. Mm. Um, so you know it's it's and that's another thing about this you know the the line that I've modeled. There's there's a good mix of traffic between you know just through trains with you know regular general merchandise going back and forth but you know specific stuff going to the the industries on the line it's it's a good mix and and i've got a good number of of the types of of cars um that i'll need eventually yes i remember you had to get a custom run of hoppers though didn't you i did i did I, i had a run of custom um hundred ton hopper cars uh made from bowser uh for to haul iron ore out of the the grace mine um south of Reading to bethlehem steel so yeah so i had uh, i had talked to bowser and had a custom run of those cars done and i've got actually i the minimum run was 200 i kept 50 for myself and i sold the rest okay um so i've got enough for 25 car train loaded, 25 car train empty, and they'll just cycle back and forth. There you go. Excellent. Okay, very good. Um, before I get to the the uh, the last question I've got for you, this this is again I keep throwing the off script stuff, but you're a, you're a seasoned podcast vet, so you can handle it. <laughs> um, can you talk to us a little bit about the the actual track planning process itself and how you involved Bob Sprague? Sure. Sure. Yeah, I had, uh, you know, I had been introduced to Bob, to Bob or, or had been told about Bob through Rob Hinkle and mm-hmm. through, um, you know, through his track plan, because Bob worked on on his writing track plan. And so um, I, I reached out to Bob and started, you know, started his, you know, going through the planning process with him Um you know, back in, you know, 12 or 13 when the building was built. And, um, you know, it was, it was a great process. He was a great collaborator. Um, you know, I, and, and I started out, we started out with a very precise sketch of the, the room in the barn, went through his, his Givens and Druthers, uh, sheet and we started, noodling on some different you know footprints and and things like that and and landed on one and then just really went from there um and a lot of it was through email and uh basically came up with uh, a plan and we had enough for me to start construction now we've as we've as we've built um you know we've we've made a lot of changes to it we've moved things around like we've shifted you know locations to the left or to the right or whatever we changed footprints a little bit um but uh you know all in all i still you know i still collaborate with bob 
off and on on things. He's gotten he's gotten very busy, but he's actually he actually came up to visit. I guess it was a year or two ago uh, on one of the days when when we were having a work session, and he was here. He oh, cool. got right into it and helped us uh, helped us construct and everything. And mm-hmm. um, you know, so that was really cool. And he said it, it's it's kind of rare where he actually sees the plans that he's done actually being built so that was kind of cool um and i've i've you know i've seen bob a couple times at the mid-atlantic meets over the years so we mm-hmm. still we still stay in touch and cool. uh it's uh yeah bob's a great I'm, guy he is he is he's mm-hmm. really um you know he's he's really open you know to suggestions and you know if you have feedback and if he's missed the mark on something or, or you know if you're not on the same page you can tell him and he's not going to get bent out of shape. Right. It, it, it's, he's very good that way. Um, so no, and it was working with Bob probably was, you know, one of the best decisions I made because number one, he's has an outside perspective, whereas I'm very into the reading, you know, I mean, I, I'd probably would still be staring at graph paper if it weren't for Bob. <laughs> That's excellent. Uh, and Craig, I know uh, from personal experience with having you over, uh, but mm-hmm. Craig, speak to uh, for a second as to just how important it is to get outside observation, if you would. Uh, uh, can you give me more context in what you mean? Well, just you mean like having a, somebody else look at sure, it. Sure. Yeah, having somebody else. Your... Yeah, so having somebody else look at what you're doing. Oh, okay, sure. Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you. Uh, going back to the beginning when we were first doing everything, uh, I had some ideas uh, about how to do certain things, and the first couple of versions of the track plan uh, they weren't as successful as I would have liked. Uh, I, I did. I ended up doing a uh, a meeting very early on for the layout design sig, and I was fortunate to be able to present what I was looking to do. Uh, to them. And uh, over the course of an hour after my presentation, they tore it apart, (laughs) (laughs) completely destroyed me. But then they helped me build the whole thing back up again. And what they came up with was a much better plan. Right. Uh, And in the process, it taught me a lot about layout design. And, um, but going forth uh, after that, you know, we came up with a better design after that. And then I moved to the house that I'm in now. So that design had to change yet again. Uh, the original design was actually modeling the part farther north up in Massachusetts. Uh, when I moved to the house that I'm in now, uh, we decided to actually do. And when I say we, I mean primarily me and Dave Ramos, because at that time, uh, Dave was, you know, my my, my red go-to guy. And right. uh so I ran everything past him, and David is a, actually a really clever uh, designer, and he had some amazingly good ideas. I, I think I had some decent stuff, but anytime I ran something past David, he came back with you know something that, even if it was something I didn't like, it was something that was better. Right. So right. I didn't always do everything he said. Right. But absolutely, having a second pair of eyes and someone who understands how things work can be so key in terms of developing a successful design. Right. Um, you know, it. anytime you can get more than one pair of eyes on something and you can get it out in front of people and say, this is what I'm thinking of, and be open to, you know, criticism and, you know, suggestion, 
you know, I'm so happy with the layout the way that it is now. I mean, sure, there are some things I would change today based on what I know, you know, like we've talked about this before. I probably would never have put the second deck on if I had realized how long it was going to take. <laughs> uh, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's just getting it out there and having somebody else who you can throw ideas against and will throw things back at you, not in the literal sense, but you know that is so so important and right. it's such a useful thing and somebody like bob is great too because if i remember correctly and tom you can tell me if you agree with this you know you basically when you sit down with bob you're going to give him a written list of your givens and druthers and your, your basic information about ceiling height the room dimensions things like that the things that you particularly want to have on the layout and then he's going to come back to you with questions and he's going to show you what he's thinking of, and you're going to criticize and, and talk about that together. Mm-hmm. And the two of you, over time, develop a you know, it, it, it's the kind of thing where, like you said, you didn't necessarily have an idea, uh, a very specific idea of exactly how to do it. But when you sit down with somebody who does, and they can turn around and help you fill out what you're looking for because they have the vocabulary, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that is. It's part of the whole key thing. It's that collaboration. Yeah. And, and, and it was basically, it was a lot of, you know, email back and forth and, you know, like here's, you know, he would come up with a footprint and, you know, it'd be like, um, all right, what about this? And I'd be like, yeah, this is great. Now let's, you know, tweak here, tweak there, or, or no, this isn't really what I was thinking. You know what I mean? Like it's, Uh it's, and it's and then it's just you know you go from iteration to iteration and you just go bit by bit and and he you know he you know because he's from the outside he's he's got that emotional distance let's call it sure um, sure yeah you know, it, it's true being detached from it actually counts for a lot because yeah, sometimes people like you and I who actually are building the railroad and it's and it's our baby sometimes you really have to get that outside, you know, perspective because you can't see it where somebody else can say that. And that's exactly the same kind of thing I had with David. He'd say, why are you doing it that way? You could just do this, you know? And it's like, wow, that makes a ton of sense. And I never even thought of doing that, you know? Yeah. And, and even on, on things like, you know, the, the fundamentals of design, like aisle widths and things mm-hmm. like that, or, you know, like at, at one point I, I remember him, just saying, you know, don't take this the wrong way, Tom, but I think you're trying to fit, you know, 10 pounds of stuff into a five pound bag. Except and, I'm sure you didn't say stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it was, and, and, you know, that was, you know, that was kind of the, the it's slap a slap in the face. It, it's the, it's it. Well, I, 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 I like, I not a slap in the face. I, I like to think of it more like a, you know, like a, a, a the ice bucket challenge. You know, where you okay. just get yeah, that that splash, of, that <laughs> splash of cold water that just yeah. wakes you know wakes you right up. You know, it's like mm-hmm. yeah, all right, you're right. Yeah, I need to. So we had a, you know we had one or two moments like that, and and honestly, it you know it was to your point, it was it was really it was it was for the best. You know, yeah. because if if I would have just blindly, you know, followed my initial gut i'd i'd have a you know i'd i'd have a, a barn that was chock full of track mm-hmm. but it's probably challenging to operate challenging to maneuver around and mm-hmm. you know 
it, yeah. it, it's good to have that outside viewpoint. It really, it really is. is. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing, of course, as, as you said yourself, um, you know, having somebody who understands those things about avoiding the specific pitfalls that mm-hmm. are out there, like you said, aisle width and understanding how to set things up so you don't have too large scenes that need to be worked right across each other from the aisle, you know, and other things like that so that, you know, you don't end up with places where people are crowding around and you can't get through or, or narrow aisles where people can't get past each other, you mm-hmm. know, all those things. And, 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 you know, for me, I found the layout design process itself very interesting. And, and for a number of years, I was a very active member of the layout design SIG. And I used to actually do articles for the magazine and uh, I've done, you know, obviously layout design presentations at conventions and stuff. And I still really enjoy it. But I can certainly understand why a lot of people don't want to delve into it, you know, and do that whole thing, you know, just for the purpose of designing their own layout. Mm-hmm. That's, again, just like many things like a, a, a 3D printer or a laser cutter or any number of things. It can be a hobby in itself, mm-hmm. you know, just doing that. So when you can get with somebody like Bob who has that information and can help guide you through it and get you past those pitfalls so you don't have to make the same mistakes over and over again that other people have made. You know, that gives you such a leg up. Yeah. You know, it helps you make such a more successful design than you might necessarily be able to do on your own. Right. Uh, that's really cool. Yep. <laughs> All right. Um, and just on that, like, did when you were emailing Bob, did some of those emails include, like, did you actually show him actual track maps of, of what you could find of the Reading? Yeah, yeah. Once we, once we got down, you know, beyond the the basic, you know, we we would get. <clears throat> well, it started out first. We had, you know, the list of locations you know, the order in which they were from like west to east and then some general information about each town. So once we got the, you know, once we kind of got those things anchored in space, then it started with giving him the real data about each location. Mm. So pictures of industries, um, Google Earth snapshots that I would annotate with, you know, here's where the spur was or whatever. Um, The one thing I actually have is I have a set of qualification drawings for the entire line that I'm modeling. So I have the actual track layouts. I have the track layouts. They have the signal locations on them. Um, You know, I it was kind of a funny story. I probably said this last time I was on, but... I was able to get half of the line. Rob was able to get the other half. Right. <laughs> he made me, he, we, we kind of made each other a copy. And, and so collectively we, we have the whole thing. Okay. That's um, awesome. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I, I shared those with Bob and, you know, I, I would basically say, okay, here's, you know, I want this, I don't want that, you know? So it was, then we would get down into the nitty gritty of, of the specific individual scenes if you will mm. Gaia okay very cool all right interesting um, so you you talked about uh, having to to join the the layout together and I'm guessing is is that uh, is that going to affect how when how close you are to having an actual shake, shakedown session uh, is that in the foreseeable future for you um, 
I'm hoping that, you know, within the next couple months, we'll have that connection made wired and functional. Um, we are, we are meeting, we're doing work sessions every Sunday, um, with, with the current situation, um, and, and working from home. I normally have an hour and a half commute to my office. Wow. I don't have that anymore. So that's <laughs> right. That's three more hours in my day. Right. Right. So, so that's given me, you know, a little bit more time every day to try and get something done every day, either working out in the barn or doing something on the laser or something. So I've, I've really, I'm in this, this zone right now where I'm, I'm really focused on, on getting things done. And, um, Val, uh, Val Pastilli is one of my, he's probably my number, not probably, he is my number one helper. He's been with me from the beginning. He is my wiring and DCC guru. He, he's here faithfully every time we have a work session. Um, he comes up sometimes during the week when, you know, I'm here in my, in my home office working, he's out in the barn. And as long as I leave the door <laughs> of the house open so that he can use the restroom, um, he's, he's happy as a clam, just being out there doing his wiring thing. So, um, you know, we're, we're really, we've really, you know, we, we had a, a delay of a few months because of covid but about three weeks ago we started back up and we've just been going like gangbusters um i have i have a uh it's myself val my friend james mattern uh he's been helping a lot um we have another guy john wertan who has been coming for about the past month so we, we're gradually getting more and more help okay which is awesome you know it, it's it's really speeding things up um you know, in terms of construction, because when there's three or four guys out there, everybody can be working on their own project, you know, and, and you get a lot more done that way. Um, you know, because I can be wiring feeders, Val's wiring block detection, you know, James is, you know, figuring out the, the curves to get into Reading Yard out of Beltline Junction or, you know what I mean? And John's working on the lift out section. Right. So you get forward movement on a lot of different fronts at the same time. Okay. Very so. cool. Very cool. We're, we're following your, your progress with great excitement. Uh, uh, and I have, I have to personally take a second to just thank you again for bailing me out with that, with that wonderful 1954 Reading uh, freight shippers guide. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's what, you know, the, the readingmodeler.com is, is on hiatus right now. There's some problems with the website and, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's unfortunate, but frankly, I've been so consumed with working on the layout. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't really, I haven't really devoted a lot of time to, to getting that site back up and running. I probably should, but. Um, we understand priorities. You know, we get it. <laughs> I, I may, you know, I, I've, I've been thinking about this and I was thinking I may actually end up just porting a lot of that material, you know, a lot of the 
the the you know like the timetables and the rule books and the freight shippers guide and things like that i may just end up porting that over to my facebook group oh there you and, go and that way and and that way it's one platform that i have to maintain and all of that so i'm not sure yet but mm. but i'm you know i i'm i'm like i said i'm in this zone where where all i want to do is work on the layout i, <laughs> I don't want to sit in front of the computer any more than necessary hey you gotta you gotta strike when that when it's hot you know when the iron's yeah. hot so uh, i makes... mean although i you know I, I feel like i'm i mean i i, I really enjoyed having the the facebook group and you know met a lot of new contacts and and everything through that and i enjoy sharing my work and everything but i i don't mean that i don't like doing that i I enjoy doing that sure it's just i i'm always jonesing to get out in the barn and you know put some track down or put up some fascia or whatever excellent excellent well i guess just to uh just to wrap up uh Thank you so much, Tom, for for all your thoughts. And Tom, what is the name of your Facebook page? Uh, just in case we got any listeners who are interested and haven't had a chance to see yet. Sure. Uh, the name of the page is Tom Jacobs 1970s Reading Company Crossline Layout. Okay. And I, I know it's a, a wordy it's a wordy <laughs> title, but uh, it's uh, it's about as accurate as I could make it. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. And uh, unfortunately, uh, as we all found out, but I'll make the announcement here on the show too, the uh, uh, Bernie finally did have to pull the plug on the Marpham. Yep. So, yeah, which is unfortunate, but I kind of figured that was coming. Yeah, he, he he held out for as long as he could. I give him credit. He did. I was, you know, I was really rooting for him, but, uh, you know, I mean, in this day and age, you know, it's just irresponsible to put people together at this point until – until we get things, you know, under control, then, yeah. you know, we're just going to have to wait. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like of all the I years for me to... Things on Facebook and stuff. It's yep. all working out, you know, fairly well, so... Yep, yep, it's true. It's true. It was just funny because, like, of all, of all the years for me to get back in the hobby is the one year when there aren't any train shows. <laughs> yeah, it was... It, it's been a really disappointing year in that regard. I mean, it you know, Valley Forge was canceled... Then Nerpum was canceled. Now the Mid-Atlantic meet. It's it's just ugh. Yeah. Yeah. But you know it will happen again. The yeah. time will come. Yeah. Yep. Just got to be patient. And and in the meantime, just uh, it's been great seeing just well like you guys mentioned, just uh, people using Facebook to reach out. Uh, of course, you've got uh, the NMA, NMRA exit that uh, Gordy Robinson's been working on. That's been a phenomenal hit. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that's been that's been a big uh, big success. It's really cool. Yeah, mm. definitely. All right, well, model railcasters, this is going to be it for us for right now. Although Craig, it's interesting you brought him up. Uh, Dave Emery, I'm trying to get him on the next show, so we should have Dave oh, really? on for that's yep. cool. Yeah, so right, we'll great. have Dave on for two thirty four. Tom, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me again. Always great, Tom. Thank you. And, of course, what we open the show with, we close the show with. The Model Railcast theme. Till next time, guys. You've been listening to The Model Railcast Show. You can find us at www.modelrailcastshow.com or on Facebook at Friends of MRCS. And look for us on iTunes. Don't miss your other great model railroading podcasts out there. 
the Scotty Mason Show, Model Rail Radio, A Modeler's Life, and the Model Railroad Hobbyist Podcast. And drop us a line if we miss mentioning you. This is Amy Perkins for the Model Railcast Show. Have a great week.